The Squeeze is a free weekday email and podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. Our weekday podcast is brought to you by ComBank, committed to being a better bank. Find out more at combank.com.au forward slash better. Good morning, I'm Claire Kimball. And I'm Kate Watson. It's Wednesday the 23rd of October. In your squeeze today, Justin Trudeau scrapes through. Russia and Turkey meet. Lots happening in the UK Parliament will give you the latest. And prepare for heat. This is your squeeze today. There's been a general election in Canada and like many other governments around the world, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has had to form a coalition to secure another term. Pundits said that it was going to be a very close election and that's what's happened. I like the quote from one of the pollsters there saying that if people were to describe the election, it would be indecision 2019 rather than decision 2019. That's because they say that there was a lot of voter ambivalence towards the two major parties, that no one really broke through as a dominant uh, force, that there was no real policy discussion in that election and in the end it just appeared to come down to a question of whether they were going to stick with Trudeau, who they didn't really back that Mm. much and they weren't really ready to hand it over to the Conservatives. So where they've landed is Trudeau will form a minority government. He doesn't have enough numbers to form government in his own right. Speaking of other countries that are facing a similar problem, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu hasn't been able to form a coalition, which means a third election in one year may be on the cards. Yeah, quite remarkable scenes there. What has happened since that election last month is that uh, they really ran into a dead heat. That was um, Benjamin Netanyahu's Liquid Party and the Blue and White Alliance with Benny Gantz, who's a, a former military chief. The president then gave Benjamin Netanyahu an opportunity to form a, a governing coalition. He's been unable to do that and has yesterday put up his hand to say that he's abandoning that effort. That opens up a possible path for Gantz to take power, which is quite interesting but might not happen. So as you say, they might be back to the polls again. Russian President Vladimir Putin and Turkish President Erdogan have met reportedly for six hours to discuss the situation in northern Syria. Russia's involved in that, as we've discussed before, because it backs the Syrian troops and Syrian government troops have become involved in that because the Kurds who have been under threat from Turkey uh, have asked them to come up and assist. So those talks are quite an interesting shift in power there too. The US has been the dominant force in that region, uh, but with Donald Trump withdrawing, it looks like Russia is stepping up to take a main role. So the agreed ceasefire by Turkey in that part of Syria is set to end this morning. Do we know what's next? What seems to be next is that the US is saying that for sanctions to be lifted, that ceasefire has to really be uh, translated into a position where Turkey no longer continues that military incursion. Uh, Mm. There'll be a bit that plays out in the next piece of time and we'll just have to see what happens as that clock winds down. This one's certainly not going away. Uh, Make sure you have a listen to our Squeeze Shortcut on the topic just to get the background. Over in the UK and the Parliament has just now rejected the timeline Boris Johnson has set out for Brexit, which is departure by next week, the 31st of October. Johnson indicated before the vote that if that happened, he'd start pushing for a general election. 
what Labor and crossbench MPs has said is that that's blackmail, that they need more time to consider legislation that's pretty important to them and they've called it a disgraceful attempt to dodge accountability. Let's see where the, the next 24 hours takes us. I'm sure there'll be an update tomorrow morning. And it's been almost a year since the Lion Air crash in Indonesia and more than six months since the Ethiopian Airlines crash, both killing all on board. Manufacturer of the planes involved, Boeing, is still reeling from the disasters. It is. There's been a lot of investigation into Boeing's process of manufacturing and testing that 737 MAX jetliner fleet. At the end of last week, there was evidence that uh, a test pilot in simulations actually identified the issue that seems to have brought that Lion Air and Ethiopian Airlines planes to the ground. Uh, That has had uh, a big impact on Boeing's share price because it opens up all sorts of issues uh, with their legal liabilities if it can be proven that the company knew that it had an issue before those planes actually got into the sky. Dennis Mullenberg, who's the CEO, will head to the US Congress for a hearing on the tragedies next week. And it looks like we're heading for a heatwave this week. And I say we because it's basically all of us, Hobart, the only capital city spared. Yep, if you want a bit of cooler weather this week, Hobart seems to be the place to be. It'll still be warm there, but it just won't hit the 30 degree plus uh, that we're going to see in the rest of Australia. Uh, We've got um, Adelaide heading for a scorcher today and tomorrow. Uh, Melbourne and Canberra are going to have a hot one on Thursday. Sydney, it looks like it's going to get into the mid-30s on Friday. And Brizzy and Perth are looking for a really hot weekend. Interesting though, um, Darwin had its second hottest day in 78 years on Monday. It hit 38.2 degrees there. Great place, but that is so hot. (laughs) But Darwin likes to find a cool place and a cool drink, so I'm I'm sure they would have done that very well. A message now from one of our partners at the Squiz BP. As part of our partnership with BP, the Squiz sat down for a quick chat with their chief economist, Spencer Dale. He's been in Australia to talk about the dual challenge the world is facing to provide more energy to grow and develop economies around the world whilst also reducing carbon emissions. Stay listening at the end of this podcast where Claire speaks with Spencer about finding that energy, where it's coming from and where it's going. This last one is a bit exciting, Claire. Nickers is back. Nickers shot to fame late last year when he was photographed and outed as the biggest steer in the world. It was tough at the top, though, with steers from around the world challenging the title. So he took a break from the limelight, safe to say. <laughs> but it appears he's back in the public eye. Look, I reckon yesterday was one of my happiest days for a long time when Nickers made an appearance <laughs> again. Uh, he uh, not only has a best mate named Lucky, which I think is huh? really good for Nickers. I'm glad he's got a mate. Also big? Or, no, or just, no, just normal sized. No, and just when, normal you, size, when you yeah. see the picture, you really can see how big Nickers actually is again next to his mate Lucky. Um, but he's also made his show debut. He's headed off to one of the uh, good country shows uh, in Western Australia. and He's at the Brunswick Agricultural Show, if that's, um, if that's of interest. <laughs> and in case you have any doubt about how big Nickers actually is there's a link to take a look in the Squiz Today email. Reports are he weighs close to one and a half tonnes. Very impressive. 
What's the email subject line today? Well, because Knickers has a good mate called Lucky uh, and also looking at our squiz sayings this morning, which um, outlines the cheer that goes up for a newly enthroned emperor, uh, wishing them luck. I've gone for the Daft Punk song, uh, We're Up All Night to Get Lucky. Good one. Great song. Great way to start a Wednesday. That's all from us today. Uh, Don't forget, if you like the squeeze, please tell people about us. It's the number one way that we grow the podcast audience. Uh, Enjoy your Wednesday and we'll chat to you tomorrow. The squeeze is a free weekday email and podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. Sign up at thesqueeze.com.au. Spencer Dale, you're the Chief Economist for BP. Welcome to the Squiz Today podcast. Thank you. Spencer, we're talking to you now about what it's going to take to find the energy in the world to fuel development uh, across economies in the world. And I was wondering if you could paint a picture for us about that increasing demand for energy internationally. Where are the places that are requiring more and more energy and what are they using it for? Yes, and it's a very mixed picture. Energy demand... In the, in the developed world, rich countries, Australia, the UK, America, is essentially flat. All of the growth in energy demand is coming from the developing world, led by China, India, other fast-growing um, Asian economies. Partly that's because there's more people, but it, far more importantly is those people are becoming more prosperous. We think something like two and a half billion people, that's around a third of the world's population today, are likely to move from low incomes to middle incomes over the next 20 years. And it's that emerging middle class which drives economic growth over the next 20 years and also drives energy demand. While there's some good news there for millions of people who are being lifted out of poverty through that economic development that you've talked about, there's also the challenge of providing that energy while also reducing emissions. We're not really nailing that yet, are we? No, we're not nailing either of those big targets. And though both of those targets, actually, the need for more energy and access for energy for everybody and reducing carbon emissions are part of the United Nations to, to Sustainable Development Goals. And at the moment, we're not on path to achieve either of those sustainable development goals. So st- still around the world, um, we see many people not having access to electricity, not having access to clean cooking facilities. But at the same time, also carbon emissions are continuing to rise. Um, last year, carbon emissions grew at their fastest rate um, for seven or eight years. So we need carbon emissions falling but instead they're accelerating. So we're not achieving either of these, these, if you like, the world faces this massive dual challenge, this need to produce more energy with less carbon. And at the moment we're failing on both counts. Spencer, so putting it simply, the world is going to need more and more energy to fuel that growth. And to mitigate for climate change, we're going to need to reduce our emissions. Is that even possible? I think the way we can do this is by we will need to use many energies and many technologies for many years to come. Renewable energy, wind and solar power, has an absolute critical role to play here. It's by far and away the fastest growing source of energy in in the world today, and it's likely to remain so over the next 20 years. But that can only do so much. Today, people think about wind and solar being very important. They only provide around 3 or 4% of the world's energy today. If it grows unbelievably quickly relative to anything ever seen in history, it may get as much as 30% of world energy by 2040. That would really be off the charts relative to anything ever seen. 
But as a matter of arithmetic, if renewable energy gets to 30%, something else has to provide the other 70. Um, we won't want coal to provide much of that because that's a very carbon intensive fuel. So we need other types. So oil and gas needs to play a role. Switching coal for natural gas reduces carbon emissions by about a half. So coal to gas switching has to play a big role. There's a technology called carbon capture use and storage, where essentially you, you carry on burning natural gas, but you capture the carbon emissions and you store them safely underground. That technology is proven, but at the moment, we don't have the policy environment to roll that out around the world. So that has to play a role. And perhaps even more importantly, is improving energy efficiency, particularly in rich countries around the world um, where energy consumption is very high. So the average Australian today it consumes around 10 times more energy than the average Indian. Um, they actually consume average, uh, Australian actually consumes around twice as much as the average European. And so thinking about energy efficiency as well, I think, is part of the story as well. Spencer, thanks for joining us. Thank you. This interview is presented by our partner at The Squiz, BP.